Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the FinTV podcast. I'm joined today by uh, Siobhan Pandia, who is the Director of C- uh, Continuous Improvement over at Mary Kay. Uh, Siobhan, thanks so much for dialing in. You're in Dallas, so it's bright and early where you are right now. I appreciate you coming on board here. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. So, you know, why don't we get started by maybe you telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, your journey so far? Absolutely. So I was born and brought up in Scotland, which is a little bit of the accent that you you will hear as we have our have our conversation. Um, did uh, originally my background is actually finance, so I did my degree in accountancy, um, followed by my chartered accountancy and certified accountancy um, back in the UK. Started my career actually in oil and gas with uh, Shell Oil, um, first working in their financial services area and then moving into their Shell Aviation business, again, in a number of different um, finance and compliance roles before finding my home with continuous improvement um, and was there for a number of years before making the, the move across to Mary Kay about four years ago, where, as you said, I've been the director of continuous improvement. Well, and, you know, it's, it's a great, interesting background. And I love the fact that you've got this financial background, which is so appropriate right now, you, you know, with the pandemic and with everything going on, it feels as though finance is having a much more say, it, much more of a say in supply chain operations. You know, how, how has your financial background helped you in this position? I mean, absolutely. I wouldn't even say it's this position. I think throughout my career, um, as I've moved probably further and further away from true finance, I, I haven't forgotten or nor has uh, that foundation that I established through finance um, ever not been used because, you know, especially as you said, in the pandemic, the discussions that we're having, we need to have finance at the table. We need to think about um, how, how is this organization going to, to be a going concern? Um, you know, I think it's a kind of uh, survival of the fittest at the moment and having finance at the table talking about, you know, where are we with working capital? Where are we with um, really you know, kind of managing our costs at the moment so that we can come out at the other side of this, not only right now with the pandemic, but, you know, here in the U.S., we're seeing a number of natural disasters. Um, you know, we've got obviously a lot of the social injustice going on. So there's a lot of different things that companies need to deal with. And I think finance is really at the forefront of, of um, supporting every function in the business for them to optimize um, at this difficult time. You know, you describe uh, the pandemic, the natural disasters, social injustice, we are in an age of disruption, massive disruption, aren't we? And so um, a lot of the people that I've been talking to talk about the opportunities coming out of crisis, such as elevating the position of the supply chain profession and uh, the role that supply chain has in businesses today. What's your view on the role of supply chain in, in business today, post, in, in this coronavirus disruptive world? I mean, absolutely critical. If you think about, you know, just in a real life situation, they always say, you know, you don't know how strong you are until you're, you're dealing with a crisis. And I think that goes for every organization at the moment, whether it's, you know, Mary Kay, my previous employer, Shell Oil, or really, you know, everything from our small businesses through to our big corporations. 
Um, supply chain is really the heart of the organization, um, along with, I think, our procurement department. And it really depends, you know, where the procurement sits will, will differ in different organizations. But they're really at the heart because whether you're a product or a service organization, your supply chain and your extended supply chain is absolutely critical, making sure that those relationships and partnerships are intact, um, not only for, for surviving through this current climate, but also going into the future. Um, and depending on what that new business is gonna look like, your supply chain is what's gonna help you, you know, get from A to B in a way that works with now the new cost uh, challenges that we mentioned previously. Um, and also just how do you be, um, an organization that does the right thing, your supply chain is going to play a big part in that. Well, it's going to make you, um, uh, give you the level of competitive advantage in this disruptive age that perhaps uh, you wouldn't have. If you don't have a strong supply chain, it's very, you know, I think you could safely say you don't really have a, a legitimate, a very big business or a good business in this environment, do you? Right. And now is the time for, you know, we need supply chains to be flexible. We need them to be agile. We need them to maintain, you know, the quality like never before. Um, and then we also need them to manage costs. So exactly right. I mean, as I said, they're kind of the heart of the organization. But at the same time, they need to start showing these attributes in order to really move to the next level. But so how do you do that then? How, how does an organization become agile, flexible, but at the same time maintain product quality and cut costs uh, whilst doing that through continuous improvement? How is that possible? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about continuous improvement is it's taking what we do right now and seeing where are the opportunities. So, um, you know, in many of these areas, quality is an area that we kind of use as the foundation because, you know, nobody wants to see a compromise on quality. And so that's where you, you definitely start to make some of your tough decisions. Um, your cost cutting shouldn't affect your quality. So that's, you know, that's one agreement that you go into right off the bat. I think when it comes to the flexibility and the agility side, it's also just tailoring your organization to say, okay, what are some of the things that we will, we will not compromise on? And then what are some areas where we can think differently, where we can do things differently? And I think the pandemic has definitely brought that out because you know I've seen during that time, using, using as an example, my um, children both love to, to do paint, uh, to art, sorry, to do art and to paint. And so they were going to art classes. And obviously with the pandemic, the face-to-face -face side of that stopped. But what you quickly saw was organizations and small businesses adapting. Suddenly we were getting, you know, hey, you can, you can uh, pick up or have delivered to you an at-home kit. So there you started to see, like I said, small organizations all the way through to large ones showing that ability to adapt to difficult situations because otherwise I'm not going to have a business. I need mm -hmm. to think in a different way. I need to work in a different way. And that's where continuous improvement comes in because that's what it's about. You know, continuous improvement isn't a program. It's not an initiative. It's a way of, of thinking and working. And it's a culture that every organization um, strives for. It's that idea of achieving excellence, but also, you know, keeping businesses normal. So that's where CI has really come in in our organization is where are those opportunities where right now we need to think a little bit differently to, to get our product from, from A to B, um, from the beginning of the supply chain all the way into the hands of our, our consumers and our customers. And so we've been working on a number of projects that say, okay, where can we reduce time on things without compromising quality? Where can we help to reduce cost? Again, while still allowing us to be flexible, because sometimes that's a trade-off that you make is if I want to get things quickly, I need to pay more. And mm -hmm. so continuous improvement has been able to help find that balance in the different processes that we do across an organization, especially in supply chain. 
Do you know, it's, it, it, there are some people that could argue that finance and supply chain can't work because finance wants to reduce costs, supply chain wants to deliver to the customer. And so where's the compromise? What, what's your view on that? I think um, it depends on leadership. I think it starts with leadership and the, and the viewpoints of leadership. Um, you know, in most of the organizations that I've worked in, I think finance's role has not been to cut costs. It's to make sure that we're spending the money in a smart way, right? And I think we would want that for any organization and we want that for ourselves in our daily life. So I think it, it starts with leadership and the mindset that they're, they're, you know, kind of showing their parts of the organization. And also if you, you know, at the leadership level, if you're seeing the collaboration between finance and supply chain, that the message is lit, you know, we've got money to spend, um, that doesn't mean that we, we don't spend it in a way that makes sense for the organization. And I think finance is there to make sure that they hold supply chain accountable is, yes, you've got this budget to spend, but let's make sure we're spending it in the best way possible. And you do get a bit of a, you know, it can be a conflict because who said, you know, who's in the best position to decide what it means by spending it in the best way. But I think that's where, like I said, leadership, it starts with leadership and, and that has to trickle all the way down the organization. And I think if you, if you see that at the leadership level, then there's um, you know, already within supply chain, there's this thought of, I'm gonna think twice before I spend this money. I'm gonna make sure that I'm tendering out to several different organizations, that I've got finance at the table when we're you know, looking at all those things, when we're um, talking about contracts, when we're talking about the best opportunity. And so I think if you have that partnership built up from the leadership level down, then you won't see as much of that tension. And you, you want to have some healthy tension, but it doesn't become like them and us. Mm -hmm. So how does one apply CI to a supply chain practically? Yeah, so a great question. And I think that's where many organizations struggle is kind of where do I start? Um, and what I would say is um, start with a few examples or a few small areas where you've got low-hanging fruit. So look at opportunities where maybe it's not so much about reducing the time on how a process works or it's not about cutting cost, but maybe it's just about doing things in a way that's less complex. Let's simplify things. Maybe we've got opportunities for standardization. So I'll give you one example is if you have got a process, a standard process, so you've got it documented as to how it works, but you have people executing it in different ways, all within one team. That's a great opportunity to say, you know, guys, we're all able to get, <clears throat> excuse me, we're all able to get from point A to B, but the way that we're doing it is different. And although we all get to the end point, the problem is that when we're then communicating how we work, each of us communicates differently. And what that's doing is it's causing confusion and probably more complexity in the organization. So let's agree that for the same process, we're all going to execute it in the same way. And so suddenly you're taking, you know, bits of how each individual is doing it building your optimal process and now you've made a process so much better and you've got standard execution so you know a lot of times when we think of lean we think of cutting people and that's absolutely not what continuous improvement is and we think about cutting costs um, that doesn't need to be where you start um, really you can start with like i said those low-hanging fruit and those things that are the simplest things to fix the number of times that I've been able to solve a problem just by getting the right people in a room and talking to each other and saying, guys, we're not going to leave this room until we collaborate, until we communicate and until we connect. Um, I think, so I think that's always a great starting point for our organization is start small, build up the momentum, build up the experience and really um, build up the evidence that this is something that's going to be good for our organization. Then you can start tackling some of the bigger end to end things 
whether that's you know how you do your transportation and logistics, um, making sure that your your procurement organisation is selecting vendors in the most optimal way possible, or whether it's working with even departments outside of supply chain, like how we manage contracts and legal. So do you think maybe continuous improvement has, a, a, whether it's a bad rap or maybe it's misunderstood in the world of supply chain? I think uh, not just in the world of supply chain. I think when we think lean and we think continuous improvement, people think I'm gonna, you know, that means my job. And it absolutely doesn't. It's, it's taking what an individual or what, what um, an organization does and not looking at it from the people perspective and, and looking at it from the process perspective. And we usually, we have a saying in continuous improvement and that's be hard on the process and soft on the people. Um, and because what your focus is, is individuals are usually just executing what they have been given, the process they've been given. So don't focus on, on the person doing the job, focus on the job that they've been given to do and look at how that needs to be optimized. Because what we're really trying to do is say, for the skill set that each individual has, and remember, we're, we're paying these people to be here, how can we make sure that they're doing the most value-added work for the organization? How do we avoid them doing manual work by keying into spreadsheets? How do we avoid them having to do duplicate work because I've got to you know, enter something in one area and then go off and enter it into another area? How do we make sure they avoid rework because there may be somewhere up downstream in the process, somebody's giving them something that's not right first time in quality. So it's really looking at the process and being tough on the process and saying, we wanna make sure that the work you do is value added for you and for this organization. So by maybe you know, uh, standardizing or simplifying or even eliminating some parts of the process and potentially automating as well for you, what it does is yes, it leaves you with some time, but now you can take on more valuable tasks for the organization. So, you know, a great example is finance, where we've seen finance and, and accountants move away from this number crunching, just reporting the numbers to um, kind of creating the numbers. Where does the organization need to go? And therefore, we're going to have that seat in the table to say, yes, this is a good deal. Therefore, this is going to help, you know, up our revenue or this is not a good deal. This, there's too much risk here. So that's, that's really what continuous improvement is trying to do is move away from that. It's about people and reducing people to, it's about adding value to the organization. It's kind of like the conversation a little bit about digital transformation that everybody seems to be having. You know, it's misunderstood. Uh, prior to COVID, we were all, all we talked about was digital transformation is just moving this business from here to here, trying to make it more simple or, you know, in an era of complexity. But there's a lot of failure. It's a huge failure rate in digital transformation. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, I'm sure you've, you've undergone that in your business. Why do you think so many digital transformation projects fail? I think it's speed, right? And we're seeing that during COVID as well is um, when people, you know, often organizations, when they embark on digital transformations, it's this, we need to get it done because the, the light at the end of the tunnel is so bright um, that we just need to get there. And so I think um, doing the right level of due diligence and also kind of doing it at the right pace uh, has been the downfall of, of many organizations that have tried digital transformation. And, and similar to, to you guys, I've had this conversation um, quite often in the last couple of months about, you know, we've had to, you know, kind of go digital. We've had to use technology to be able to survive in this pandemic where we're not able to go out and meet people and, and do that face-to-face -face mm -hmm. business. But what's also happened is in, you know, trying new tools and trying new technology, in some aspects, we've forgotten that due diligence that needs to take place to say, 
you know, what are the risks of taking on this new technology? You know, things like cybersecurity risks, um, you know, other ethical decisions, things like that. We, you know, um, many organizations, and, and I've, I've seen this, have kind of forgotten that piece or not spent the appropriate time at the front end. And it's not to say you want to have an extended planning period, but I think, you know, as much as we want to get to the end point, we need to be able to work, um, you know, at the appropriate pace for the organization, for the individuals in the organization, and also for, you know, kind of at the same pace as the world. Mm. I think, I think, or at least what we see is that um, it's as though some people want to transform digitally for the sake of digitization, you know, for the sake of ticking a box. Oh my God, I've, I've got robotics now, or I've implemented this new machine learning and AI technology without number one, as you say, doing the due diligence, but number two, probably more importantly, what problem am I trying to solve here? What, why am I doing this? What is it that I'm, am I making things easier for my customer? Am I making things easier for my employees, for my processes? It's as though they bypass that bit. And I think that's probably why a lot of projects fail. Um, one of the things we also have seen is that this pandemic has greatly accelerated digital transformation. Tremendous. It's the biggest accelerator of digital transformation. Like you say, we kind of had to do it to adapt. Um, what have you seen, uh, or maybe in your experience, what have you seen that the pandemic has brought that has created opportunities uh, for your business or for you? I think it goes back to, you know, some of those points that we mentioned <clears throat> at the beginning. So we've seen, you know, organizations find, uh, agility and flexibility. And I think what we've also seen a lot of organizations do is, you know, ideas that they've had in the past and for, for various reasons, maybe they have, you know, have not been successful or they haven't pursued because, hey, this, this seems a little bit too crazy, guys. You know, let's, let's put this on the back burner or, you know, this isn't right for this organization. What we're seeing um, is that they're revisiting those crazy ideas because in the crazy times that we live in, actually it's some of those crazy ideas that work best. Um, and going to your back to your point about the digital transformation, we are seeing more organizations doing that. Yes, because they need to survive, but it's also almost like if I don't do it, then I'm going to be left behind, right? Yeah. So people are going to see me as the archaic, uh, you know, company or archaic individual that doesn't want to change in a in a in a VUCA world. If you're mm -hmm. familiar with that term, yeah, um, you have to be changing all the time. Um, at least that's the feeling that, that organizations have. But again, it depends on what that change is and, and the pace at which you deliver that change. And it goes back to your point, what are we trying to solve with this change? We shouldn't just change for the sake of changing. No, exactly. And, and what's the role of the customer here? You know, are we, are we changing to try to drive some value to the customer, some value to our employees? What, what's, the, uh, what's the point? Um, Let's go back to this opportunities thing. I want to keep focusing on this. A lot of the conversations we've been having have said that, you know, after the initial panic of COVID and, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And then later the, okay, we've got this. So now let's try to adapt. Uh, it seems as though there are opportunities now to perhaps maybe redesign the supply chain, look at more sustainable business models, look at more responsible ways of doing things. Uh, do you think that this offers us an opportunity to create a more resilient supply chain, a redesigned supply chain, and perhaps maybe a more sustainable supply chain? Absolutely. I mean, I think starting with you, it's actually your last point. You know, I think sustainability is um, 
it's not an initiative it's not a program it's the way that we need to live um it's the way that we need to think and we need to do business as well and i think you know you're seeing that more and more where at least you know in the, in the cosmetic industry in the last six months i think i've seen all of the major players come out with what their vision for their organization in terms of sustainability is you know and that vision goes as far out as i think 20 2035 20, 2040 and here's what we're going to achieve by then um, and you're seeing it kind of being made public a lot more so many you know organizations have been working on sustainability um for for a long time but i think really going out there and saying this is what we commit to um, and we want you to hold us accountable to that is is something different that we're seeing um, and i think that's because what this kind of pandemic has done which is you know a lot of uh, unfortunate and, and negative things but it's also brought down that uh, it's brought about that focus on what are the things that's important so you know with um everything being shut down, you're seeing, you know, better air quality, you're seeing, you know, with, with manufacturing plants, not maybe um, producing as much, you're seeing what that does to, um, you know, your water consumption, what it's doing to your carbon footprint, you're seeing all of the impacts of if we are forced to dial it back, what happens, and a lot of those are good. And so how do we maintain those while still maintaining business? So I think, you know, sustainability is, is just going to be a part of how supply chains work in the future. Um, in terms of the resiliency, absolutely, is this is a gr I think every supply chain has been put to the test during the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, whether that's your aspect of um, working with different parts of the organization on, on design and delivering your product or service, whether that's in terms of actually, you know, manufacturing, if you have a product, then being able to do that, because for that, you need to be able to work with your vendors and your vendors' vendors to be able to get your, you know, your raw materials that you may need or your components that you may need. Um, and then being able to, you know, be able to deliver it because you've seen a huge amount of pressure on these delivery services. So whether it's a yes. UPS, FedEx. I mean, Amazon was having to employ so many extra independent drivers because um, the transport and logistics uh, function just couldn't cope. Um, and already, I think UPS here in the US, USPS, which is the equivalent to Royal mm. Mail, and then FedEx as well, have all announced their holiday um, hikes to prices to be yeah. able to cope with the increase in parcels. So I think supply chains have continued to exist, which is where you're seeing the resiliency side of it. But you know, we always say if you can survive in a crisis for a short time, but when it starts to become much longer, which I think COVID has become, that's when you start, you need to start reflecting on, okay, we could survive in a crisis for, you know, three months, maybe max six months, but how are we now going to integrate these into our processes to make it just part of the way we do as business in this new world? And that's what supply chains are having to do is having to look in that mirror and uh, look back at, uh, what do we need to change? What do we need to, you know, like I said, eliminate? What do we need to simplify? What do we need to standardize? Uh, and going back to our digital conversation, what do we need to automate? So whether that's more robotics, whether that's greater use of data analytics, um, you know, AI, I think we've seen a dip in blockchain for mm -hmm. sure during these difficult times. But, you know, what are, what are other areas like that that we need, to, we need to start thinking about for the future? And we need to almost, I won't say... Um, pandemic proof ourselves because I don't think it's possible 100% yeah. but what are some things that we have learned that we can now integrate into the way we do business and not leave those to be things we do in special circumstances you know Siobhan you, you bring 
bringing up a really, really important point here, which is um, it's almost as though supply chains or leaders or, you know, all of us have been operating in this crisis mode since the pandemic. There was the early crisis, which is, oh my gosh, right? The panic stations. Then right. now I think we've all been operating in this crisis mode. How do we survive during this crisis without, I think maybe we're all coming to the realization that this is a paradigm shift we are now entering a completely different way of operating in business. What was, uh, this isn't going to go away. This isn't a crisis like an earthquake or a, you know, or a volcano that after two, three months, we kind of go back to normal and we kind of, there is nothing like that. So what you just said really struck with me, which is how do we implement this new way of working into the new way of working into actually our business model moving forward uh, for the foreseeable until maybe change happens again. You're right. We're not going to be able to uh, be pandemic proof per se, but we're definitely entering into a different phase of operating. And I think the challenge is there, like what you've been saying is how do we uh, solve some of these problems? Do we, what do we automate? What do we cut in terms of costs, but also still, what do we digitize? What do we do to become more sustainable? What, what are the things that you're seeing right now in the transition from crisis to, or panic to crisis management to day to day? I think you're definitely seeing a stronger relationship between, um, you know, suppliers or vendors or, Part, business partners so you know kind of just counting on the example of the, the transport and, and logistics to, to start with is that you're seeing um, organizations having more conversations and more communication with those with those organizations whether like I said it's a FedEx USPS DHL um, you know whatever it is to, to say okay we're you know our let's say our volumes have gone up or our volumes have gone down what does pricing look like so rather than just waiting till maybe once a year or once every couple of years for that for that bid and tender process those conversations are happening a lot more um organically um because that's the way the business is driving us so we're, we're moving away from let's just look at this once a year once every couple of years and more just hey we need to be having those conversations on a regular basis um, and like I said, that could be your transport and logistics vendor. It could be your vendor for raw materials. It could also be looking at new opportunities. I think that's one part we haven't touched on. So we talked a lot about, you know, how do we um, optimize your existing processes, but how do you build new ones that are, are different from what you've done before? And a lot of that comes with reaching out and um, kind of, you know, grabbing or, or talking to different business partners that maybe you wouldn't have looked at in, in the past for various reasons and saying, you know what? Almost anything is on the table now. So let's go back and have, again, those conversations to say, maybe, you know, where in the past you haven't been able to help us because your costs were too high. Well, everybody's in a, in a place right now where, you know, some costs have gone up, others have gone down because companies are trying to survive. So maybe we can get a better opportunity with that company now versus six months ago or a year ago. Um, and it's not to say that, the, the prices won't change uh, and things like that going into the future. But where we are here and now, there's definitely more opportunities as organizations look to, you know, survive. You know, you're absolutely right there. There is no rule book here, right? But there's no roadmap. None of the business processes that we had, well, I wouldn't say none are applicable, but we're definitely in new uncharted territory, right? So what I liked about what you just said, which is all the rules go out the window uh, nothing, nothing is, is normal. We're not in normal times. So start again, reach out to different people in across the organization, uh, you know, break down the silos, 
uh, talk to people that you probably normally wouldn't have talked to and, and, and start to rewrite them to some degree? Absolutely. And, and it goes back to your earlier point around also, you know, our customers have changed. And I don't mean, um, you know, we've gone from it was, you know, A before and now my customers B, but A has no. changed because every single one of us has changed throughout this, throughout this, you know, between the, like I said, the pandemic, um, you know, the social injustice that we're seeing, you know, not just here, but, but this across all the over, world. All over. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, the natural disasters, which are changing people's lives as well. So our, our consumers and our customers are changing. And that also has to be taken into consideration when we're thinking of, you know, whether it's um, optimizing our existing processes or building new processes um, and, and, changing the direction of our company. So we've seen so many organizations, again, going back to the cosmetic sector, where you know they started uh, manufacturing hand sanitizer. At first, it was really to help um, the healthcare industry, right? So our doctors and our nurses and our first responders who who you know have been amazing, you know beyond amazing throughout this pandemic, and therefore you know how can we get them the supplies that they need? You know whether it's uh, gloves, masks, or like I said, hand sanitizers. Um, in terms of the cosmetic industry, but what you're seeing now is okay. That's now not going away. Everybody is going to be so much more conscious. I'm going to use that hand sanitizer in the car before I go into the store, and I'm going to use it as soon as I get back in the car, right? Which is not something that we would have normally done. So now mm. you've you've got a. Uh, uh, a new market for the users of hand sanitizer and how do you grow on that? What other hand sanitizing products can you create? So these are new business opportunities that the situation has brought about, but it's also the demand from the customer and the consumer that's brought about these changes. So there also has to be time taken to understand how have those customers and consumers changed and what do we need to do to adapt to the changes that they're going through their life and also what they're um, requirements are so that that's also what's going to drive an organization is you know we always say um start with the customer what does the customer want and then everything else follows because the customer is the most important person the customer has changed like um like never before and will never be the same again you're absolutely right what we think we know about our customers has changed you know, it's uh, our own behaviors have changed. Everything from where we're operating, how we're operating. Uh, you know, you and I chatted about this before we went on on live or recording, and that was, you know, I think we're here. We are. You're in your living room. I'm in my office, my home office, and we have a new normal. My dog might come in any minute now. It just mm-hmm. is. We're accepting different things now, aren't we? In terms of the way that we operate, and uh, we're accepting, the, like you say, small things like our adjustments to this new normal, the fact that you put on hand sanitizer before, during, after, the fact that you know we're wearing face masks. So our behaviors as consumers have changed, our clients have changed, haven't they? So what you think you know about your customer, think again, is probably what you're suggesting. Exactly. And also the, you know, the, the priorities of customers have changed. So, you know, I think where you saw um, material things being, being important, I think we've seen a shift away from that um, where, okay, I, I need to reprioritize. I need to refocus because, you know, I, I was having a conversation with my husband the other day and, and I was just, you know, perusing a, a shopping site and um, because you kind of need to do some of those things to feel normal. And my husband's like, where are you like, what are you buying? Because where are you going? Right. And I was just like, I know it just, but it makes me feel good. But obviously he had a valid point is I'm not, you know, when I have to, to think about uh, like 
like every other household does across the globe, where are you spending your finances? You know, you're making different choices in, in what you're buying. And, um, you know, I, I continue to look at the site just to be clear, to make myself feel better. But yeah, absolutely not going to go ahead and purchase. Um, so I think you're seeing a difference in your customers' priorities as well. So things that, that they would have spent money on or would have spent time on, are going to change um, and going back to your point just about how, how behaviors have changed what i think the pandemic has has brought about um a lot of is patience especially i think in the working world where you know if if previously there was a i was a I was working from home a couple of days a week and the kids came into the office, there would be a little bit of a stigma. Oh, she's working from home and, you know, she's always got interruptions. We should really, you know, not allow that. She'd be back in the office. Um, you know, I've never had that experience at, at my company, but, you know, I know others have at their organizations. Whereas now when your child comes in and is sitting on, <laughs> is sitting on, in, in on your calls, that that's almost normal. And oh, well, I, I, watched a, I watched a BBC interview the other day with some very important specialist and her little okay. kid sat on her lap in the middle of the thing and started asking, well, who is that man? What are you talking about? That was on live national television. So our, I agree with you completely. I think our acceptance of what's normal, of those barriers that we used to have, that's, that's changed, which means it goes back to your earlier point. Our customers have changed, our behaviors have changed, what we know about consumer behavior, what we know about uh, consumer challenges, what their world is like has changed completely. So I really, really think, and you've hit an, uh, the nail on the head here, Siobhan, with um, the whole idea that the rule books, they've got to be rewritten. You know, we've, we've got an opportunity here to really think about everything again which is an opportunity again not taking away from the horrible situation we're in and 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 all the negativity but would you say this offers the opportunity for someone in business or supply chain particular in, in specific to to look at things again exactly and i think what's important in what you said is that it's about rewriting the rule book it's not about throwing away the rule book right so i think that that's really important is that the the rules are changing um it's not that we won't have any rules which which i think has often been the feeling is you know yes anything can go but still staying true to to who the organization is so you know we we um have a very strong culture in Mary and that culture of making sure that people feel important about doing the right thing, that will never ever go away, um, no matter you know how much our processes change because that's who we are, right? Um, and you said, gonna... you talked about that, what you said about the priorities, you've got to identify <laughs> what are the, what are st still, what are your priorities? Exactly, and, and making sure that everything then follows on from that. But yes, uh, I mean, I think supply chain, like, like we've talked about earlier, is the biggest opportunity because one, just the, the scope of what supply chain itself covers, and, and it will differ from organization to organization, but you know, you're talking about everything from your quality organization, your procurement organization, transport and logistics, um, your actual operations or manufacturing, engineering so you know there's and, and some organizations that even covers r&d often and so mm -hmm. i think just the scope of that organization and how many people are within there and to me when you have an organization that's so large or at least a function that's so large you are are just sitting on opportunity and um, and that opportunity goes back to what we talked about is how can we be more flexible because our consumers or our customers need us to be flexible how can we be more agile um in the way that we do things so that we don't, I won't say we don't have to say no, but we can definitely accommodate things in ways that we have never done before. 
Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, in some parts of the world, business is, has changed forever and, and we'll never go back. And I, I think it's the same in the US, but I think we're still kind of holding on to some of those, you know, older traditions and things that we don't want to move away from. Whereas in other parts of the world, it's like, no, this is how it's going to be like it or leave it. And so I think, again, supply chain is a huge role to, in that to drive the whole organization forward. So, you know, all of your other functions are, are important. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I think supply chain, because of the scope that it covers and probably the level of opportunity that's there because of the different functions, there's something that you can do in each of those. And even in quality is how do you, you know, it's not, we're saying we don't want to lapse in quality, but how do you increase your quality? Because again, our consumers or our customers are expecting more um, because yeah. they've had time at home and they've had time to really spend looking at differences between organizations differences between products and they're in a much more stronger position to to make those choices between a and b to bargain and to find you know whether it's the best deal or the best quality i think before we lived such a a rat race life that it was like okay convenience you know, mm. I'm going to click on Amazon because it's going to get, get it to me in two days as opposed to it's not exactly what I want, but mm. I'm going to take the two days over everything else. Whereas now I think we've had more time to focus on what do I really want? What are my priorities? What are the things that are important for me? And well, and, 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 and with the economy, the way that it is right now, you know, people's pocketbooks are very important, you know, so right. they're making more informed decisions and those supply chains that have risen to the challenge and understood their clients, their clients' behaviors and operated in, in perhaps efficient processes are going to win the day. We're seeing supply chains come out with, you know, um, more affordable product lines, right? Or more affordable services, knowing that, you know, in, in many parts of the world, that, that standard or that bar has, has come down. Now, not in quality, but in terms of uh, what their price point can be, because, the incomes in you know a lot of mm -hmm. those countries and a lot of those homes have come down. So you know we can continue to be at this high price point, and does that mean we're going to survive? Well, yeah, we might because you, you're still going to get those that that can function at that price point. But maybe uh, the majority or a good portion of my customers cannot. So what am I going to do? Am I going to try and fill that gap, or am I going to let somebody else fill that gap? And that's where supply chain comes in 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 terms of understanding the gap in the first place. But then what are we going to do to fill that? And, and in order to fill that, we need to be able to, I always come back to, uh, you know, adapt and, and be flexible where we, you know, still manage uh, cost, cost and quality, sorry. And so um, that's where supply chain is, the, is going to be the one that brings the other functions together and says, we need to collaborate and we need to collaborate in a way that we never have before. Um, and again, not throwing away the rule book, but how do we change the rules and how Rewriting do we change it. them fast? Yeah, how do we change them fast? Because that, that gap is not going to exist forever. No. So the collaborative supply chain in this day and age is going to be absolutely vital. Yep, absolutely. Yep, for sure. So what, what kind of advice would you give to the supply chain leader today uh, to navigate this next phase of where we're at, which is the new normal? I would say start with your customer for sure is, is, you know, we, we want to still move fast and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think there also has to be, you know, I come back to this point of due diligence, due diligence into what does my customer want? How has my customer changed? How does, how, how does my customer behave differently? How do they think differently? How do they feel differently? You know, and, and that goes back to the point of sustainability is I think, 
it, it's always been important to everyone, but how actively they were able to execute on that desire to be sustainable has changed significantly during the pandemic, right? So mm -hmm. you're seeing a lot more pressure from the public, from the world, on organizations, on other individuals to say, no, you know, we've seen some good things come out of the pandemic in terms of, you know, our, our clearer skies and, and being able to see monuments that we've never seen before. And um, how do, you know, what are you going to do to help us maintain that? Because we can't do this alone. It's not, you know, it's not going to be possible with, you know, one or a handful of individuals, but what are organizations who can make the biggest impact? What are you going to do about that? Um, and they're pushing, or they're, they're, they're making decisions to say, well, if you're not going to do anything to support our environment, to support the future, you know, and if you go back to the, you know, UN's sustainable development goals, what are you doing? How are you stepping up to the plate? And if, if uh, folks are not seeing that, they're moving away from companies. So I think it's got to start with what is the, what is the organizations need to look back at what is our purpose? Is it still mm -hmm. the same as what we had before? And to me, purpose is critical. Whether you're an individual or you're an organization, you must have a purpose. You must stand for something. And it's got to be something that you believe in and something that you are 100% behind and that you will um, strive for that to, always to the best of your ability. So every organization, supply chain need to, leader needs to start with that is what is our purpose? Does it continue to re, uh, be the same or do we need to change what that purpose is? And most of the time, you know, if you had the right purpose in the beginning, your purpose shouldn't change, but how you execute against that purpose will change. And that's where you start with the customer. Siobhan, you have been tremendously insightful. You've given us a great deal of uh, material to think about. I think you're absolutely right. Think about your purpose. Think about your customer. How have things changed? I want to thank you for being on here and for being a guest on this FinTV podcast. Uh, Siobhan, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you uh, again in another podcast. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you again for having me. Thank you, everyone. And for those of you watching FinTV, we'll see you at the next podcast.